Today is January 3rd, 2020, and this is episode six. I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. The South Dakota Catholic Conference represents the bishops of South Dakota on matters of public policy, providing explanations of how church teaching applies to the issues of our day. On this podcast, we range from the soul to the state as we try to cultivate those virtues and principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Topic today, the impeachment of American president. Of course, on December 18th, uh, for the third time in American history, a president was impeached. Um, We're going to talk today about the historical context, what this means for America, what this means for us as Catholics the way forward. I'm excited to have uh, joined this podcast for the second time, Dr. John Schaff. Dr. Schaff is professor of political science at Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And he teaches a, a host of political science courses uh, ranging from American government, international relations, the presidency, and American political thought. Dr. Schaff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on again, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, I, you know, this when President Trump was impeached. Of course, we, uh, in many of us, we you could see this. It was like a slow motion train wreck. You could like see it a mile away. And I just thought yeah, there can be a bit of hesitancy in a faith and politics podcast to to jump into something that's got such uh, partisan overtones uh, to it. But I just thought this is so historic that. Uh, faith in politics, we got to go there. So I'm grateful for for you joining. What's your what's your 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 first take? I mean, what does this what does this mean for us? Well, I, I think what we see here is yet another sign of uh, the division and partisanship in the country. Um, you know, many people on the Democratic side. From even before Donald Trump was inaugurated, you no, know, after the uh, after the uh, election of 2016, we're talking about impeachment, and the president, who is sometimes imprudent in his use of presidential powers, has given some reasons uh, uh, that those who are predisposed to dislike him and uh, to uh, and those who were talking about impeachment, he's given them some reasons to pursue that. But I think it's just uh, another indication of how uh, our two parties, um, competing ideologies, whoever you want to put it, um, are sort of see our politics as a zero-sum game, and if one side wins, the other must lose. And so in this quest for power, uh, everything is sort of open game. And so in, in a kind of a weird way, both, both sides sort of depend on each other because, you know, you, uh, if you uh, live by... Um, uh, you know, partisanship. Well, you you need another side. You need a boogeyman to attack, and both sides are very good at turning each other uh, into into boogeymen, uh, if you will. Uh, and I, I think this is sort of what's happening is uh, when you use that metaphor for slow slow motion train wreck. You can sort of see this. You could see this coming from whether it was the Mueller report um, uh, and. Uh, all the all the indications were coming that that you know, Democrats were sort of um, looking for a fight. Once they took the House of Representatives, it just what they needed was some sort of provocation in order to do this. And it looks like uh, the president at least gave them some reason to go ahead and do it. 
So, so, you know, I know people have been talking about polarization for, you know, last year, certainly, and I think uh, the, the couple previous years also. Is there something new within this impeachment that we, that we don't see historically within previous impeachments or, or you might say even uh, high scandals within the executive office? Well, only in this sense. So if you look at the two previous impeachments, and I'm going to throw Richard Nixon in there as well, number sure. three, because Nixon would have certainly been impeached and probably removed if he hadn't. He saw the handwriting on the wall, um, and so he just simply resigned. But there was a certain degree of partisanship when, you know, uh, after the Civil War, Andrew Johnson was thwarting the Reconstruction desires of uh, the Republican Party, especially the radicals in the Republican Party, and so they went and they got him. Uh, Bill Clinton in 1998-1999, uh, you know, there, there was uh, an element, which I think is inevitable that there's an element of partisanship. One thing we have to just realize is that the impeachment process is a political process. It's not a legal process. So there's going to be some politics to it. Uh, and, you know, there's, with Nixon, there was bad blood between Nixon and the Democrats going back to Nixon's time uh, as a U.S. senator when he was a strong anti-communist and made some enemies uh, in the Democratic Party for, for being a, uh, a little bit of a red baiter, as they called it at the time, a little bit too enthusiastic about going after uh, communists in his time as a U.S. senator from California in the late 1940s, uh, early 1950s. I think what makes this different is precisely what we've been talking about is I don't think in any of our our impeachment or impeachment-like uh, incidents before that, they seem to be focused around a specific incident uh, or a specific set of incidents, whether it was uh, Andrew Johnson vetoing bills that you know, really made uh, radical Republicans mad. Yeah, of course, we have the Watergate break and we have the Lewinsky scandal with, uh, with Bill Clinton. I think it'd be fair to say people weren't talking about impeachment until there was an incident that occurred. What makes this unique is people were talking about impeachment even before anything had happened. There was just sort of this assumption that sooner or later Donald Trump was going to stub his toe and the Democrats were going to be there to take action. And so this was telegraphed way, way in advance. Uh, and I think that makes a difference, and that's sort of the sign of the polarization, is that that Democrats were spoiling for a fight from the get-go, and all they needed was, in this case, they needed a majority of the, of the United States House of Representatives to make this happen. And once that happened, you could almost see this coming, because at some point Trump was going to do something uh, that pushed the edges of things, and then he, he did it, and here we are. So, you know, that, that polarization, uh, we can all witness that present within our, our political leadership classes. I can't help but wonder, though, if part of the phenomena that we're observing, too, is a bit of um, what Bishop Barron might call meh, where, where the broader public at large, I don't know, is this being talked about around the water cooler? Are people that, are, are people as invested and just like glued to what's happening as, as they would have been, um, you know, 25 years ago with President uh, Clinton or, or even prior to that with President Nixon. Are, are people as engaged? Do you have a read on that? 
Well, I think a couple things. Well, I think the, the, the polarization, I think, is real and reaches in, into the public. But I think you can see in this case, one of the things that's interesting is, uh, you know, I, I remember quite well, I was a graduate student in Chicago when the, the, the Clinton uh, impeachment occurred. Uh, uh, and now, granted, I was a graduate student in political science. Not exactly a cross section of America. So when I say that's all we were talking about, <laughs> we were we were a bunch of political <laughs> scientists. So naturally, that's what we talked about. But it did seem like it captured the imagination of the country. And now we can even we've got some polling. The the longer the uh, impeachment hearings took place in the House, it seemed l- less interesting to the American public. And for one thing that happened is is whatever support there was for impeachment and removal of the president, it actually decreased as the impeachment proceedings went on. Uh, not by a lot, but it decreased. And it doesn't seem to have captured the imagination. Now, that might be part of now impeachment has gone from being this sort of, you know, DEFCON 1, this is, uh, this is, the, the last resort when you've got a president who's really causing problems um, to uh, maybe just an assumption on the part of the public, well, here's more partisan bickering. And now uh, impeachment, which, as I said, uh, is sort of of its nature a bit partisan, it's political, but now is seen at maybe by uh, a good portion of the public as being merely political and that this is just a game uh, that's being played, and so we don't take it as seriously as we did almost exactly 20 years ago when we were uh, fixing for an impeachment trial of uh, Bill Clinton. Right, and then I, I can't help but just see within the broader public maybe a bit of fatigue. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but with with an election year ahead, I've got this question looming in my mind. Of course, one of the things that I want to do in my work is without, of course, the church herself isn't partisan, but without being partisan, just encourage people to be active citizens and to get engaged and to be present. And I don't know, maybe I'm fighting a, a bit of an uphill battle with with people really truly experiencing some fatigue. Do you have a sense of what this might mean for the election cycle ahead? Well, we'll see how this plays out. I would, the way, you know, there's, there's an old saying, um, uh, when people ask about, you know, what do you think is going to happen in an election? Um, I refer back now, I can't remember the reference as to who said this, but, uh, this election will be determined by events which have yet to occur. (laughs) Um, Fair enough. Who knows? I mean, stuff is going to happen between now and November, but so everything I ever say about election prediction always carries that caveat um, as who knows what's going to happen. But I think probably what we've seen is is that impeachment is not going to be that significant because people dismiss it as, as merely a partisan act by the Democrats. And I would predict that by, say, I don't know, May, June, you know, certainly I think probably sent once the, uh, uh, the Democrats have settled on a nominee, uh, Impeachment is going to uh, fall into the Orwellian memory hole, so to speak, uh, and I don't think people are going to pay it, which is yeah, which is too bad because if impeachment is supposed to be this thing that should really capture us and we should really focus us, but if it's seen as merely a partisan tool, then that's that's not going to happen. 
in in that sense, um, you know, perhaps Democrats made a miscalculation. I think they thought that this is something they could use to uh, uh, now make a Samuel Taylor Coleridge reference to put an albatross around uh, President Trump's neck, but it doesn't seem to be working out uh, working out that way for them. And if anything, as you say, if 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 it's seen as merely partisan, it's just one more thing to sort of depress people and to think that there's, you know, all that's happening in Washington, D.C. Is, is partisan bickering. And that if, you know, from the point of view of the church, if the purpose of our political life is to pursue the common good uh, and to pursue that together, and one of the things, you know, in a democratic society, we're all responsible for that. It's not something that we're merely passive and we wait for our rulers to make decisions. We are the rulers. Uh, we partake both in ruling and being ruled. Uh, that's what it is to be a citizen. Um, and so if we are not engaging in that ruling aspect of it because we are too frustrated or we find it too difficult, uh, or we, you know, we, we think we are merely uh, slamming our heads against a wall, uh, then, then it's going to make it difficult for for uh, someone in your position, Chris, who's, who has it sort of as part of your uh, vocation to to get people involved in public life. If people perceive that uh, it is difficult to pursue the common good in our public life the way it's currently constituted, then it's it's going to be difficult uh, to motivate people. Right, and it's you know I you always hate to to beat people over the head with just mere duty. You always want to inspire, right? But I yeah. I can't help but like the fallback position for me is to just insist and really remind people, yeah, political life for all of us, for all citizens, it really is a moral obligation. It's not optional for us. One of exactly. one of the questions that kind of jumps to mind though, as we think about how we do engage as citizens, again stepping back to the Clinton presidency. Um, even in a tumultuous with a, with a tumultuous presidency at times, uh, with with that impeachment, I, I think of these sort of great unifying um, moments. And one that comes to mind is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which was uh, an act of Congress that 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 gave really heightened uh, protections to our First Amendment freedoms: our, our free exercise, freedom of worship, and it passed. Um, I think it was unanimously in the Senate, uh, nearly unanimously in the House, and then signed by uh, President Clinton. And it's tough to see that level of uh, unanimity today around a particular issue. Maybe again, stepping back to polarization, do you do you see any issues that are out there on the horizon horizon that might serve uh, to unify America in any particular way? Um. I've got some bad news for you. I don't. It's it's interesting. Your uh, the answer is basically no. Uh, I'm I'm I'm, you know, I'm thinking of, of what that could possibly be. Uh, and again, yeah, yeah, with the caveat that one never knows how things are are going to turn. Uh, mm. It's it's hard to be your example of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act is an interesting one. Uh, because what what exactly has happened with that? As as you point out, you know the lead sponsor of that bill in the United States Senate Senate was was Ted Kennedy, uh, you know a progressive Democrat, right. uh, signed by Bill Clinton, a Democrat. As you say, it was uh, widely supported, uh, near unanimity in Washington D.C. 
And one of the guys, one of the, the, the authors of that piece of legislation, uh, one of the legal scholars behind it, Douglas Laycock of University of Virginia, mm. he has said uh, in the last few years that if, if that bill came before Congress today, it would have a difficulty passing. That which 25 years ago uh, was almost completely non-controversial, now is extremely controversial. Uh, the, in that specific instance, because there are there are tensions now that we didn't have 25 years ago regarding sexual liberty and religious liberty, mostly with the rise of of gay rights and same-sex marriage, and that and so now some like religious liberty has become polarized, has become partisan, right. uh, because the parties have taken opposite sides uh, on on this set of issues uh, and. It, that's sort of a, that, that's sort of a, a case study in something that that should bring unanimity to the public, um, or at least a strong consensus to the public. Now we we debate it, even some like free speech. What are the limits of free speech? Uh, this now is something that we debate uh, as opposed to this being a consensus issue. And so I'm not sure what the what that issue would be. It might be some like education reform. Possibly, uh, but it, it's hard for me to see um, uh, a set of issues where there's consensus uh, out there. Well, and maybe one of the lessons for for Catholics, for people of faith, and maybe just for uh, our fellow citizens at large is is to approach our our present situation with a certain measure of humility and. And for, for people who are inclined to get on their knees and pray, to just say, we, you know, we're in a pickle. Um, we don't exactly see the way forward, and, and Lord, help us during this, yeah. during this time. I'd, I had a priest friend recently uh, ask me, how do you deal with all this stuff, uh, with, the, with the partisanship? And, and, of course, Donald Trump himself is such a polarizing figure. And we all know, you know, we hear the stories of family members, friends splitting over Donald Trump and politics, especially you know, the social media as being uh, uh, a kind of contagion, which, which, help, which helps these things, that helps, helps this disease spread, uh, so to speak. Uh, and what I, what I said to uh, this, this uh, priest friend of mine is one of the things just I have done personally over the last handful of years is I probably pay less attention to current events in the news of the day, and I've grown more to think of the long game. And I think as Catholics, as we think of you know, salvation history, uh, is is what you might call the long game. Now, individually, we you know we want to be prepared uh, because uh, Christ will come like a thief in the night. So I'm, that's not I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that there are much bigger issues at stake than who wins the next election or who certainly who wins today's uh, news cycle. And so maybe to become less distracted by day-to-day who's winning the fight today and, and thinking more in, in longer terms. Of, it's one of the advantages of, you know, we have a church that's 2,000 years old, Man. and there are ups, there are downs, uh, there are crises within our own church, and there are various times within church history where you can look at it and say, oh, my gosh, how is the church 
going to survive through this, and then it does, and then it, you know, I, I, something happens, and the church starts to prosper once again. And to think of it in those terms and, and not be so narrowly focused on what's happening today and letting what's happening today um, either either inspire us to hatred or anger or to, uh, if you can say, inspire to apathy. That's probably not the right way, right way to put it, but... Uh, uh, and to, to not let the day's news affect us so much and think more of a longer game of how do we promote the kingdom of God here on earth? How do we promote justice? How do we promote the common good? And how do we, how do we spread the gospel? And that doesn't have as much to do with, uh, you know, what, what, what partisan bickering is going on on you know, cable news networks and social media. Yeah, I've I feel like that's something I've learned from my wife, who is a, a philosophy major. Um, I used to give her a hard time. You don't you don't know what's going on in the news. You're not like reading the newspaper. And she's like, "Well, I'm you know I'm reading Aristotle and Augustine and Aquinas." I said, "Okay, fair enough." <laughs> like that, it just well, that's that's very good advice. Yeah, uh, it, as a matter of fact, I this is what I would recommend. <laughs> I mean, it it or, is you know, read church documents. Read that instead of uh, instead of watching uh, MSNBC or Fox News tonight. It it is so healthy to have just a, a perspective that um, that is in es- it, uh, essentially trying to put on the mind of God. You know, let's 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 have a perspective with this, but bringing it back down to um, from maybe uh, the eternal level back down to like what's right in front of us. Sometimes I, I can't help but wonder, as we think maybe long-term, that one of the strengths of our country that will see us through to better days, um, God willing, is, is federalism. And the fact that we can, do, we can do politics right in front of us. There was something in the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago about how small-town city councils, like the next generation isn't running for city council. And I just thought, what a great challenge, especially to young, you know, younger people. And this is the church's principle of sub- subsidiarity in action. You know, just get involved right where you are. So, John, uh, just to, by way of uh, parting thoughts, do you have any uh, any final remarks, final thoughts for us on the path ahead? Well, I just think that uh, as I was saying, that I think people should maybe take uh, a long view of where American politics is going and maybe uh, subsume themselves, maybe in longer form reading or uh, you know, maybe more edifying reading. And uh, to, I think we, we can look at this as an opportunity. Is I think one of the things that has happened over the last, I don't know, two years or so, maybe just since the election of Trump uh, as president, um, I think there's been a shakeup. Uh, and I think people are more open to more creative, uh, more fruitful uh, ways of looking at American politics. The problem is I think you have to do at least a little bit of digging uh, to get into that. Uh, but I think if people do a little bit, bit of digging and you know, they, they look to you know, the, the best of our writers, the best of our thinkers, and I think you can find some of those people uh, – Oh, I don't know. Uh, for example, at, at at the journal First Things, which is strongly uh, Catholic influenced, uh, 
or you know, debate. You know, you see, you know, uh, U.S. Senator Marco Rubio gave a speech recently about common good capitalism, where he's using explicit Catholic references in Catholic language, and uh, and to delve into these things uh, a little bit. Uh, and I think it's an opportunity for us to okay, can we maybe reimagine uh, American politics uh, a little bit? And maybe set them on a stronger, uh, uh, more uh, Catholic-based uh, uh, grounding. And so, precisely the sort of the the angst, the uh, the, the partisanship, the the turmoil of American politics. One good effect of that is, I think, it is uh, amongst the best of our thinkers. I think it's it's allowing some freedom because kind of paradigms are being smashed, which allows for some creative thinking about where we're going to go with American politics. And I think you you, you see this uh, within the church and within I think some of our better uh, political writing is engaging in some of some of this. Professor Schaff, thanks so much for joining us on Faith and Politics. Thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. Um, so just as a, as a final thought on the impeachment of Donald Trump, um, you know, a big encouragement that, that has already been mentioned a couple different times, but an encouragement not just for Catholics, but for, for all citizens out there is, um, you know, just really approach the, the present circumstances with, with a really healthy dose of, of humility. Um, and for us as Catholics, that means prayer, that, that uh, the, the answers may not be right in front of us, um, but we can really give uh, through our prayer. We we can give our country, our state, our political situation uh, to the Lord, who sees uh, who sees us in this time and really loves us in it. Um, and then the the final takeaway is really just it's so so good to keep a healthy sense of perspective, and um, and that you, you can kind of feel like you're doing a bit of navel gazing and woe is us in this time, that's not to dismiss uh, the difficulties that we're presently having, but to just remember um, that this too shall pass and there's really not a whole lot new under the sun. So to just invite the Lord uh, to to give us and to help us have a really healthy um, divine perspective uh, on the situation that's in front of us. Um, for episode seven, we'll be moving into the legislative session starting January 14th. So I really hope to bring some timely, relevant thoughts on current legislation uh, that is uh, in our state capital up in Pierre. And of course, if you have thoughts on what you would like to hear on faith and politics, please, uh, please contact us. You can go to sdcatholicconference.org and sign up uh, for our mailing list to stay in touch or you can click contact us, send me a note. I'd love to hear uh, what you're thinking and what you'd like to hear. Until next time, thanks for joining us.